Well, uh, as Matt mentioned, this is a transition moment into what we were experiencing with Easter last week. Um, seven different conversations Jesus had with his followers, and now we step into uh, this moment where, just as the Bible portrayed in video, um, there is this uh, empowering of his followers that takes place. And uh, before they get to that point, they are seven weeks waiting. Seven weeks. Actually, seven weeks and a day on the 50th day. You know, I, I was thinking about waiting. I mean, how many of you really enjoy waiting? Yes? We're, 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 we're pumped up about waiting, right? We love waiting at the doctor's office. We love waiting in traffic. We just love waiting. We love waiting for downloads to happen on our computer and updates on our phone. I mean, waiting is just exciting. No, it's not, right? I was thinking about waiting um, as it relates to, um, oh, I don't, I don't know, just about anything that we could possibly do in life, uh, waiting on packages, right? That becomes a little bit easier now that Amazon just kind of zooms one to our front door in an hour if you live in Dallas or with a drone, right? But I remember at Christmas time, we were waiting on different packages to, 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 to show up that we had ordered, some gifts that we had planned on receiving from the kids. And this one particular place that we ordered something from, and I will not give uh, their name to incriminate them, but uh, uh, we were, I was waiting and waiting and waiting. I'm like, oh, I'm just so anxious for this to get here. I can't wait because I, 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 I was just so excited to be able to you know, get it under the tree and everything. And finally, whenever it showed up, it actually was on our front doorstep totally unwrapped, like no packaging or anything, like the kid's present was just right there. And I was like, ah, I wish I could wait longer on this one. This is not good, right? You know, it's like, well, wait a minute uh, when, the, when the waiting goes wrong. Um, but I, I tell you what, I, I think for these disciples, these seven weeks, I bet, I bet they were long weeks. They were trying to figure out what in the world is actually going to happen. I mean, we know what Jesus has said, and he's not physically with us right now. But what next? What next? As the name of the sermon is, now what? Pentecost is a harvest festival which falls 50 days after Passover. You know, here's what they weren't thinking in, in, uh, in their waiting time. They weren't thinking, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the Feast of the First Fruits, that happened. It was Easter, all that good stuff. And, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, 50 days and it's the end. And so all of these pilgrims will be coming into Jerusalem and it's going to be filled up and the Holy Spirit's going to, boom, bring all of these languages to us. And in this moment, we're going to fill this whole city filled with all types of gospel proclamation in all of these people's different home languages that they're coming from. And that's why we're waiting. They didn't see the big picture. And I was just thinking maybe if maybe a little subplot for us tonight is just in the whole waiting thing. So often, right, we're in the midst of waiting and we don't see the big picture, but you know, God does. And the key for us is just to trust him. And those disciples, they didn't see the big picture yet. They didn't know. They, they didn't see how it was all going to be put together. But it was, in fact, the busiest Jewish feast because it falls in May. And that's whenever travel was easy. 
And so for Jerusalem, that, that city would expand all the way. I mean, it would literally, I mean, if you've been to Jerusalem before on, a, on one of those Holy Land tours, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's a big city, but it's not enormous. I mean, it's not like DFW area. And certainly back then, it was not even as large as it is now. And so for that, small, for that city to grow by 130,000 people, that's a lot of extra bodies in the moment, it was actually called the Dispora of the Jews. Dispora. What is Dispora? It's actually a Greek word for scattering. And what was occurring there was that there had been this scattering of the Jews. They had been exiled and scattered multiple times throughout history into many different faraway lands. And so now it was in this moment each year that they would make their trek back to Jerusalem to offer the first loaves of the barley harvest at the temple. You see, Pentecost marked the culmination of what started 49 days prior with the First Fruits Festival. They were thanking God for the harvest, not only for his provision in that moment, but also believing him for and thanking him for what was to come. Another great lesson out of this, this moment in Acts for us to be mindful of that we are to be about thanking God, not only for the moment, but what is to come. So during this festival, someone would read from the passage in Deuteronomy, that is chapter 26, verses 3 through 10. And we're not going to read through that right now, but what this passage basically says and what they would read in these seven verses is uh, they they would read these verses that remind the people of their captivity when they were in Egypt and how they were indeed delivered because God had heard their cry and had seen their affliction and their oppression. And so in this moment, isn't it so very significant, I believe, symbolic and significant, that in this moment, as they are reading out this passage, Pentecost is upon them. And in this moment, Jesus, what happens is the, 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 uh, the prophecy that Jesus really gave them of what was to happen for those disciples would come true. And the Spirit of God would fall on them that would begin the process of a harvest of souls. Thousands upon thousands upon millions of people coming to Jesus. You see, it was in that moment, that day, symbolically, spiritually speaking, a great harvest would be ushered in. And person after person after person would be delivered just as they were reading out from that passage in Deuteronomy, but from a very spiritual perspective. Tongues of fire. They didn't really display that on the video. It's hard to even, hey, you know, what would you do? You know, probably if they tried to, it would look really hokey, right? I mean, we've seen those types of like New Testament and Old Testament films. And I think whether or not you go with metaphorical language or analogy or double meaning, there's so much that was going on there in this passage. Luke is doing his best to describe this supernaturally occurring event. God's presence had been described often in the Old Testament with wind or with fire. And so in this particular moment, it would make sense to once again see those descriptors present as we are looking at the presence of God with them. His presence in that moment was both audible and it was also visible. It was manifested in itself 
in an outward display of this inspired speech that would occur from the disciples. In the Greek, pneuma has the double connotation of both wind and spirit, right? And so that connection really makes sense for us in this moment as well. Even if you go all the way back to Ezekiel, and you find those, the, the, the story there where the dry bones come back, right? And life occurs. And in that, in that vision, in that moment, what are, we, what are we hit with? We're hit with this breath of Yahweh that occurs, this wind that occurs, that brings life into. And so whether or not it's Old Testament or now New Testament, we see God's presence symbolically and very in a real way shown through wind and through fire. God gives them the power to accomplish his work, tongues of fire, speaking in other tongues. It was visible from the people on the street. I mean, there is this, I mean, how could it not be, right? What the Bible is describing as best as it can is that these people who showed up 130,000 strong for this festival all out in the streets because they can't even all be in the houses all at one time. There aren't enough hotels. There aren't enough places for them to be. And in this moment, on this one residence in the middle of Jerusalem, there is a tornado of fire. That right there is not something they had expected when they were looking this up on the Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I can imagine that TripAdvisor would have been lit up, right, with descriptions like, ah, you know, we came for Pentecost, but there was this tornado and fire. And you know what? Crazy enough, we go to that city every year and nobody ever knows what we're saying. Because, you know, we're like from, uh, we're, we're Elamites. I mean, nobody knows what we're saying. We don't even know what we're saying. Our language is hard. That's, yeah, see, that, that's good. That's, that was a little linguistic humor because history does tell us their language was so very difficult, it, it dissolved because the people had such a struggle speaking it themselves. Anyway, I know. So Peter starts preaching in this moment, probably in the Aramaic dialect, commonly used in Jerusalem, so that the residents of the city would understand. And he starts off by telling them, this is great, right? He's a great communicator, Peter is. We know that. I mean, he's got a big mouth. He uses it all the time. In this moment, he's using it for God's glory. And here's what he says. He says, hey, listen, we're not drunk, okay? I know you think we are, but we're not. Because who's going to be drinking at 9 o'clock in the morning, getting drunk in a solemn festival? That's how he starts his sermon. Imagine if we started our sermon like that. You know, you'd go, whoa. You know, I mean, he, it was an attention grabber in that moment. But then what he does, as a great communicator will do, he takes that moment and then he just starts to ram home truth. He's got their attention. Whoa, wait a minute. That makes sense. They must really not be drunk. This must be, wait, yeah, okay, well, you did understand what they said. Oh, well, you did too. Oh, and you're from Edom. How about that? You know. And so they're, they're comparing notes. And in that moment, he then begins to really bring home truth. And he starts to say things like this. Some of these scripture passages are on this. In this first sermon, right, after the Spirit has come. Verse 21, he says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Can't you just imagine 
that he's looking out over the crowd. And Peter is taking, he is making the most of the opportunity. And he sees all of these different people groups coming in. Because you see, all of these Jews have gone out. And they've been living in these other countries. And they've learned these other languages. And now they're coming back in for this religious festival. But you know what? They're not all believers. They're not all first century Christians. They're discovering the gospel for the very first time as they're rubbing shoulders with people who are talking about this Jesus Christ who has died and risen, they say. And so Peter, in this moment, is like looking out over the crowd. And I can just see him getting caught up in the moment as the Spirit is upon him and saying, listen, everybody who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. No matter where you're from. In verse 24, he says, it says God, he says, God raised him, Jesus, up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. I mean, is that not a great verse? We could use that every Easter, right? That death could not hold him. He could not be held by it. That was fresh on their mind. Verse 33, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. He's talking about Jesus. He's not going to miss this moment with all of these people in the audience to talk about Jesus. Verse 38, and then he gives the invitation. Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent and believe. Let God take care of your sin problem. And here's what happens. The Spirit will come and live inside of you just as you have just watched. The testimonies that you just heard tonight from these three kids echo what this passage spoke about 2,000 years ago. Who is the Holy Spirit? Did you hear him talk about it? You hear Silas? He said, the part of God who lives inside you. Children baptized. That's, That's exciting. You know what? Millions and millions and millions and millions of people baptized over the last 2,000 years. And Silas and Levi and Becca, a part of that that chain. When Levi tells his story about AT&T Stadium, when we were there at Harvest America, he says, "Um, God told me. God told me. I remember sitting there and he he, 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 he motioned to me. He said, I'm, okay, come over here. So he came over to me and he said, what's up, buddy? And he goes, I, I want to go down there. I said, well, what, what do you want to do? And he said, God told me I, I need to be a Christian. You know, God speaks in the heart of a seven-year-old. He speaks in the heart of a 47-year-old. He speaks today just as he spoke in that crowd 2,000 years ago. What about you? What's God been telling you? Do you know him? Have you made the decision to follow him a public thing? You know, it's not just something that we do to 
fill up a service hour, right? It really is something that Jesus not only did himself, but also commanded us to do as believers. It's an example that the church, the early church, has set before us. It's more than just getting set, getting wet. It's actually obedience, 101. It's a visible representation of what God has done through us, for us, through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. It's publicly showing the world. The result of Peter's sermon, about 3,000 after his invitation were saved on that day. And you know what happened? The church was jump-started. It was. It moved from upstairs trying to figure out what in the world was going to happen next to now it's in the street. And now it's not only in the street, it's in homes all over Jerusalem, you see. They were taking it to the street. I think that's a song. Acts 2, 42 through 47. Now what? Here's what happens. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. We preach on this passage a couple of times every year. And every time when we get to it, I think it says things to us that are not necessarily prescriptions for us, as in you have to follow this exactly. You have to do it exactly this way. But I do believe it's a description of the attributes of the Jesus church. I think it's a description of the attributes of a Jesus follower. We're going to look at a few of them, and I'm going to get you to listen to a particular testimony as well in just a moment. First, as Christ followers... We are to meet together constantly. We are. Now, you know, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a challenge, right? I mean, we've got a busy world, and it gets crazy, and you hear that all the time, and I get it. And, you know, as, as pastors, we just kind of get used to the unfortunate reality that we may have 2,500 show up for Easter and less than half of that the next weekend. We get it. I, I understand. It, it, it's, it's, it's sad, It's sad that whenever we look at that number, even half of that other number, half of the thousand or so of those adults are really connected into any type of community at all, besides just maybe coming to a worship experience. And I go, oh man, you know what's what's sad to me about that? Is that what we look at in scripture is that that's really not how we are designed to live. That in the New Testament, what it shows is that we are to love one another and serve one another and be kind to one another, and to lift up one another. And it's so very hard to do that when we're not with one another, right? So I think, you know, if it, would be, it would be wrong for me not to mention to you that, you know what, we're a church that tries to connect people as best as we can, and I hope that you'll take advantage of those moments because we believe as Christ followers, we are to meet together regularly. Some of You, in this room, you do that through the things that you serve in, that you are meeting regularly with people and you do life together with them. 
For some of you, it is a small group. You know, we offer opportunities to get connected into small groups consistently around here. They're called Group Link. One of them's coming up soon this month. We always follow up big events like Easter with moments like that to help try to connect people in ways that are meaningful for life together. The second, as Christ followers, I believe it also shows them not only meeting together constantly, but also actively loving those in need. They were selling possessions. They were giving things away to those who had need. They were in a descriptor that would make sense for us tonight, right? Taking off their sandals for another person. Today, this weekend, we experienced Barefoot Weekend. Many of you may not have come here ready to take off shoes, and we get that. Different people come on different weekends. You know what we're doing. Some people don't. If you've come ready to do that, that's great. If not, we've got a time in the service that a lot of different things are going to happen, and so we don't want you to feel uncomfortable either way. But, you know, what we want to do in this moment as we are being the church is to be the church for other people who are in need. And there are people that are associated with Men of Nehemiah and other ministries downtown that we serve that have great needs that our church is going to be able to help support. Feed the Hunger had another amazing event this weekend. I hope some of you were able to participate in that. It's already concluded. It was a little bit smaller pack than we do in the fall. Why do we do that? Because you know what? God's called us to meet the needs of those who, who have need. To do that in love. And as we were hanging out around boxes, praying over those boxes last night, you know, just another reminder of everybody that was present. Hey, listen, this is not just food that's going into the mouth of somebody that's hungry, but it's also spiritual nourishment as the gospel goes out with every one of these boxes. Why? Because we believe the church is to be about meeting people's needs spiritually and physically and emotionally. But you know what? I listed a whole bunch of other things up on the screen because those are events that happened this weekend. And some of us go, oh, man, ah, you know what? Maybe I could bring some shoes tomorrow, but these, ah, I can't let these go tonight. I get it. I understand. And some of you are like, oh, I can't believe I missed Feed the Hunger. I mean, ah, oh, you know, there's like 17 different ways the church was advertising. But somehow I missed them all, and that's fine. We'll catch you next time. You know what? There's a whole list of opportunities that you can get connected to. And whether or not it's Men of Nehemiah or Cornerstone Church Downtown or Women of Nehemiah or CCA or Chin or Nursing Homes. And you know what? Here's the beauty is uh, there's a card in the seat back in front of you. And here's what we're going to do tonight. Last week we had you f- everybody fill it out. I'm not going to tell everybody they have to fill it out this week. But you know what I would love for you to do? If you're interested in serving in one of those areas, will you just note that on the card tonight before you drop it in the box? Because you know what? I was, I was, I was looking at, at the board in my office with all the different people that represent those ministries that oversee those. Can I just tell you, we have some people with some amazing hearts who just so love getting people together, everybody who wants to go and serve people who have needs. And so you know what? I hope that you will take full advantage of it if you haven't yet. Pick one and go for it. We got a mission trip headed to Belize, family mission trip. And sometimes you hear us talk about family mission trip, and you know what you don't hear us talk about? You don't hear us talk about the other mission opportunities that are also available to Belize all throughout the rest of the year. You know there's three more besides just the family trip? 
And flying to Belize now is cheaper than ever before. And you know what? And you know, some people have looked on those things before and gone, oh, you know what? I could never do something like that because I'm not a doctor or I'm not a dentist. And I've heard that's what that's about. You know what? They do doctor work. They do dental work. They do some construction work. You're like, have you seen me with a hammer? It's ugly. I get that. I understand. But you know what else they need on these teams? They they need people who will do intake, who will listen to people's stories, who will pray with them, who will share the gospel with them. Because it's more than just meeting somebody's physical need. We also, in these ministries, step into people's lives and meet them at the heart level. You know, if you're interested in something like that, please let us know. Because, you know, I'm convinced that the church of today is still to be about what the church of Acts chapter 2 was about. Well, it's not just about meeting together constantly or actively loving those in need, but it's also about regularly interacting with God through prayer and his word. I see that in this passage It's so very clear they're they're worshiping together, they're praying together, they're having communion together, they are connecting together in the Word. How's the connection time for you? I I, I think for many of us, what we did possibly is we experienced, you know, maybe Lent, maybe you picked up a devotional that you kind of worked yourself through on a version app on your phone or something like that, and, 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 and it got you to Easter. And I think now, again, the title of the sermon that I just kept coming back to me, and I was like, this is so silly, this is so simple, this is so, but the question is, now what? What, is that, what does that propel us to next? What spiritual discipline will I jump into next? How will I, what, what will I study next? What will I be praying for what, next? What will I be trusting God for next? Some of you may not even be aware. I, I, I don't know. Maybe you are. But we've, we've connected with a ministry called Credo House, C-R-E-D-O, Credo House. It's out of Edmond, Oklahoma. And it was started through Chuck, Chuck Swindoll's ministry. But this particular ministry, our church pays a fee to. And here's the beauty of this. You ready for this? You can take classes online for free because our church has this membership. And they're theology classes and they're apologetics classes, and they're how-to-study-the-Bible classes. And, you know, you can do all of that, and all you have to do is just ask us for the passwords. How about that? Is that easy or what? And we've already paid for it. It's things like that that we want to bring to you, to offer you. This room right out here, this prayer room, it's a great opportunity for you anytime that you want to come in during the week. You know, we specifically keep that available for people who want to come in and pray. And Brandon was right at the beginning of the service. He was exactly right. We create moments like what we do every service with the cards to make sure that you are aware that we are praying and want to be prayerful for what's happening in your life. But it's not just that the believers are doing that. You know what else they're doing? They're also listening to and sharing stories. They were listening to and sharing stories as a part of the new church, the Jesus church. And we know that because in, in the third chapter of Acts, what was Peter doing? He was hanging out. He went to the temple with John, and the, and, and, and the man was there who had great need. He's there in the moment. He's been lame from birth. It's the 3 p.m. prayer service. And you know what they don't do? They don't walk past him. They get into his story. 
And he winds up healed and praising God a result. And then is used as a platform for the gospel for Peter to launch off into yet another sermon. You know, earlier in, or later in Acts chapter 2, what do we find? We find that these Christ followers are connecting together. And what's happening? Daily people are being added. Daily. A couple of other thoughts. We've got a bunch of different stories to tell. Matter of fact, I've got a story that I want you to hear right now. Uh, Andrew Giles. Come on up, Andrew. Shall to give it up for Andrew? <clears throat> Andrew's going to take a couple of minutes and share with you his story. He is one of the men of Nehemiah. And uh, they've joined with us in worship tonight and tomorrow as well. And, uh, you know, this is, this, is, this, is, this is changed life that we are able to work with on a regular basis with men of Nehemiah. And I wanted you to hear uh, a little bit about Andrew's story. Uh, good evening, guys. Um, my name is Andrew. I'm 29 years old, and I'm uh, originally from Rochester, New York. Um, for the last 15 years, uh, heroin and uh, cocaine have controlled my life. Um, I was adopted at a very young age, at three months old. Um, and I remember growing up, um, I grew up in a predominantly uh, white community, and my, my uh, adoptive family was white. And I remember growing up and trying to figure out where I, where I belonged in life. And I remember in high school and, uh, and junior high school, um, I would constantly try to find where I, where I was supposed to be at and that. And, you know, every time I would go from different groups of friends constantly and as soon as I didn't feel like I was a part of or something, um, you know, I'd, I'd go to another different group of friends. Um, my whole, you know, growing up, my father was uh, physically abusive and he was uh, verbally abusive. Um, for a long time, I, you know, I growing up, I remember uh, I grew up in a Christian home, and uh, I didn't, I, you know, with my adopted father being physically and, and uh, verbally abusive, I couldn't, I couldn't see how I could trust a God that was. You know, somebody that I couldn't see or, or talk to on a regular basis. Um, for the last, uh, man, the last 10 years, uh, heroin and uh, cocaine has brought me to uh, nine different programs. It's brought me to uh, prison. It's brought me to uh, just multiple places of places I didn't want to be. Um, my entire life, I've wanted circumstances to change. I've wanted my situation to change. I've wanted people to change. And I always thought that. I always thought that if I could change my surrounding, if I could change the people that I was around, that um, that ultimately I, I could stay sober. Um, and uh, every time that um, I would move to another city, I've lived in Cleveland, Ohio. I've lived in uh, Los Angeles, uh, Rochester, New York, Missouri, and now uh, Dallas, Texas. Um, I remember uh, before I came here, um, I, I moved out to Dallas about a year ago to live with some family out here. And I was doing well again, working, and uh, I was miserable. I was completely miserable, um, sober. I, I didn't want to. I didn't want to be sober and miserable. And when I was using, I was miserable. Um, and I remember the last time I relapsed about two weeks before I came to the men of Nehemiah, and uh, I was kicked out of my family's house again. And um, and I remember not wanting to live. I remember wanting to uh, to end my life at that point. Um, I had come to a place where I was just so broken, where I didn't, I didn't have any hope, and my shame had turned into despair. I just didn't feel like there was anywhere 
or anything that could help me. Um, and then my cousin uh, found uh, found uh, uh, Mentor Nehemiah, and uh, he asked me to come. Uh, asked me to come, and I, at first, I really didn't want to because I, when I when I went for the initial interview and I was in the parking lot, I saw all these guys running out in army uniforms, and I was just like, I just, I was not trying to put myself through that, <laughs> and, um, you know, but I'm really glad that I stayed. Uh, I've been here for four and a half months, just about now. I mean, when I came here, I, when I came to the Mennonite, I, I was struggling so hard. I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to stay, and I didn't want to leave. Um, I was just angry about everything, and I wasn't even quite sure what I was angry about. And uh, I remember when I first got there, I, I, I almost didn't want to believe that there was a God because I felt like if there was a God, then how could he let me go down this far? How could he let me get to the point where I didn't want to live again? And, uh, you know, so part of the men of Nehemiah, they use Narcotics Anonymous. And, uh, I, but I was willing to, to do the step work, and I was willing to, uh, to give Narcotics Anonymous a chance. And I remember working step three, and it's uh, step three is... Uh, made a decision to turn our will and our, our lives over to the care of God as we understand him. You know, and, and for the first time, something clicked, and I remember who's, and it just dawned on me and whose will I've been in the entire time. And, um, and, you know, so at that, you know what I mean? So at that point, I've, uh, I, you know, I, I asked Christ to, to be a savior of my life, and I asked him to take control. My entire life, I've tried to be in control of things. I've, uh, I've always wanted things to uh, go my way. And uh, for the first time, once I surrendered, and you know, there was there was a peace, there was a relief that I didn't have to be in control anymore. Um, since I've been here, uh, relationships have been restored. With my family. Um, in the summertime, I get to start school again. I go back to I'm going to be attending Eastfield College for substance abuse counseling. So it's just really amazing to see what God can do in your life once you give Him uh, your life over. Thank you. Change life. Um, men of Nehemiah were in a place where they were able to really listen to Andrew's story. And he was also able to hear God's story as he whispered it back into his ear in a very healthy way about who Christ was. And maybe not how, maybe not how he had been represented in the past, but who he really is. So I would say for us as followers of Jesus, what are we supposed to be about? God's story, being willing to share our story, being willing to listen to other people's stories, right? That's what the New Testament church was all about. Last thing, New Testament church was all about praising God. We see that in the story. We see these people worshiping. We see people being added to their number as a result of that worship. And we're going to end with a song. Uh, Matt's going to come up. The band's going to be a part of this. And as we kind of bring everything back to conclusion, what I would just say to you is, what's God whispering in your ear? There was a moment in Andrew's ear just in the last four months that God whispered the truth of the gospel. There was a moment at AT&T Stadium the first weekend of March that God whispered in Levi's ear. There was a moment earlier uh, about four or five five, six months ago, I guess, for Silas up in his bedroom that he pulled me aside because God had been whispering in his. 
And the question is, what is God saying to you tonight? Is he saying, hey, take a step, be baptized. You haven't done that yet. You've made a profession, but people don't know it. You've never gone public. Maybe he's saying, hey, get serious about studying God's word. Jump in there. Be like the early church. Write Credo House on your little card. We'll get you the information. C-R-E-D-O. That's all you got to write down, and we'll get you the passwords. You can start. C-R-E-D-O. For some of you, you may go, hey, you know what? I need to, I need to jump in there and be willing to meet people's needs and beyond what the, the church's calendar looks like. You know, it's not just about these organized events, but I want to jump in. You know what? If, so, if one of those things was on there that you go, oh, man, I want to be involved in that. I want to be involved in being a part of Men of Nehemiah. I want to be a part of CCA in our community. And you know what? Write that on the card. Let's put you into contact with those people. Some of you came ready to give shoes. Here's an opportunity, right? Some shoes already been placed up here. As a part of worship, the card is a part of worship because we are presenting God the next step that we think he is whispering in our ear, right? Putting shoes, if you came ready for that, tying them together with rubber bands, that's going to be an expression of worship as we end the service tonight. For some of you, that's, that's, that's the moment for you. There's still communion. It's happening in the back instead of at the front, because we decided not to mix shoes and communion together. But you know what? For some of you, you've come ready for that moment, and your heart is prepared, and you're ready to step up to that table and in remembrance honor the Lord Jesus Christ with great thanksgiving for what he's done for us. So whether or not you go to the back, whether or not you give through offering that's on at the at the, the boxes attached to the walls of the back, whether it's shoes, whether it's acknowledging next steps that God's whispering into your ear about and putting it on the card, whatever you sense in this moment, we just want this to be in this last song, freedom. <coughs> freedom for us to live out Acts chapter 2 because you see, we're still in the chain. So whenever we ask the question, okay, great, Easter was great. What next? Now what? Here's what's next. Go back to Acts chapter 2. See what they were about. And let's be about that as a church. Father, thank you for reminding us of what's next as we worship you in Jesus' name.